My intention with this session was to have the opportunity to explore um, <clears throat> some of the questions that arose from the dust that I conducted on uh, on uh, the breaking of norms. And so um, I really would like to spend most of the time, um, uh, maximum up to an hour or so, just exploring uh, uh, any questions that might have arisen either from that dot or generally anything that people would like to um, explore or examine or understand. Um, <clears throat> so... Um, um, I thought maybe um, I'll, I'll talk about the breaking of norms for mm. minutes. And then I, I would like to break you into groups. And, um, uh, and then anything that arises from that or any other questions that you'd like to explore, you then sort of, you, you, you discuss that and then we'll, well, it'll just be like a, a four or five minute breakout session. And then you come back to me and say, well, you know, this needs clarifying or we'd like to explore that or whatever. Um, <clears throat> that's sort of my intention. Um, so to start off with the, uh, the, 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 the idea of, of, of breaking of norms, I mean, what I mean by this is there's 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 quite a common theme in Tasawwuf of this idea of you know you know Allah can break norms for you, and you can have an experience of the breaking of norms. And what does that mean? It means literally to live in the realm of the miraculous, um, where you experience things and you do things and you 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 have access to things which you cannot entirely account for rationally. Now all of us. Um, uh, you know, if you've been around for a little while, we've, we've had tastes of things that you can't account for rationally. Um, and this is how, how does one get access to that realm of the miraculous more, um, more consistently? And um, Sheikh Muhammad al-Habib says, that, you know, how do you expect the breaking of norms for yourself if you don't break norms? Now, what does that mean? Um, <clears throat> the most of us have um, uh, a, quite a conditional uh, engagement with life. We um, we we uh, we we do things to get things. In fact, that's more or less how we construct our idea of intent. How most people construct the idea of intent is that intent is always about an outcome which somehow is of benefit to the self. Um, I've even heard people say that truly unconditional motive is is an is an impossibility. There's no such thing as uh, as as in that sense as giving and as giving unconditionally. And how does one then kind of come to grips with this idea of of, of giving unconditionally? In the first instance, one needs to understand how our conditional motive works. Our conditional motive can actually be quite complex. Um, it's the equations that we run. Our minds that have at some point impromptu zoom. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Let me just uh, turn this down. Yeah. Um, I think that's the question. I said, you know what? I used to do a zoom call on the weekend on that. There you go. I beg your pardon. There you go. So, so as I was saying, um, <clears throat> uh, let me do it this way, then I can see if somebody's not muted. I beg your pardon. Um, <clears throat> if you don't mind, folks, if you just mute, mute your microphones um, while, uh, while until we we start to talk, because it's a bit sort of confusing. <clears throat> so, what do we mean by 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 norms? Norms are our assumption of how the world works. And it's based on our assumptions of how the world works that we then construct patterns of, of intent that will produce outcomes in our benefit. 
Um, uh, for instance, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, I know that if I uh, if I treat a person in a particular way, they would like me, and it therefore will be easy for me to get out of them what I want. That's what I mean, kind of like. So, so it's um, it's it's the equations that we run that at some point there's an equal sign, and on the other equal sign, there's uh, there's what's in it for me. Um, the the uh, uh, so 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 for example, and these these can be very long, and they actually get these equations get longer as we get older. Um, we start off as a child, as an infant, the equation is very immediate and very short. You know, um, I will be happy if they put something in my mouth and they clean my bottom. That's it. Happiness is a full more and a cleaned bottom. Um, uh, into middle childhood, that becomes a little bit more muted because we start to understand that the other has the power to withhold the good auspices of the self. So we said, no, no, hold on. You know, um, it, it, you you actually get have to get them to uh, to like you because when when they like you, they have power over you, and when they like you, then it's easier for them to kind of do what you want. You know, fill your more and kind of clean your bottom. Um, that state of middle childhood transmutes into the state of the adolescence, who's come to the rather disturbing insight which says that, you know, the problem with always appeasing people and trying to be liked is that they stop taking you seriously. Um, far more important than being liked, the, the, the key issue of life, the key challenge of life, is to be seen to be significant, is to be taken seriously. So the, the kind of compliant attitude of middle childhood translates into the, the competitiveness and the rebellion of adolescence we really are sort of insisting on your own significance. So what's happened is that you, you, you know, you've, um, uh, the, 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 the sort of equation gets longer, you know, uh, in order to be happy, the thought was I need a full more than an empty bowel. But actually to get that, I've got to get them as my allies. In order to get that, I've got to see, get them to see me to be significant, which basically means at every point, the point of satisfaction, the point of getting what you want, of the happiness that you think is on the other side, the rainbow felt moves further and further away. Now, in adolescence, that becomes really very challenging because um, uh, this, this competitiveness of adolescence produces a, a constant engagement of win-lose experiences with other people. And uh, the problem with win-lose is that it turns into lose-lose. Because if you examine the whole problem of competitiveness, if, I am, if I'm competing with you, the reason why I'm competing with you is I want to win. And, 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 uh, in, and the reason why I want to win is I want to get your, your good opinion of me. I want to get significance from you. I want to get your regard. The problem is for me to win, you have to lose. So, uh, um, uh, 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 you know, um, uh, I, I want you to love me by making you come second. Now, there's clearly quite a strange kind of logic in that. So, so in adolescence, you get exactly the opposite of what you want, which then means to say that you actually, hold on, you've actually got to genuinely get them to be your allies. You've actually got to go the extra mile for them. You've got to start kind of serving the other, the social other. And, and there's a, and there's an insight that starts to develop into your adulthood that you have only license to be happy once everybody else is happy. Now, that's a hell of a prospect. In other words, ha you know, happiness is now not just about setting, getting a set of conditions around yourself. Happiness is concerned with setting a set of conditions for everybody around you. So your, your point of happiness gets further and further away. The equations that you're running that equal... I will then be happy. My interests will be served. Get longer and longer and longer. That can produce, um, should produce in your sort of midlife, some kind of a crisis where you, you forego what's on the other side of the equal sign. In other words, you know, all of these, the, 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 
the entire equation has gone this plus this plus this plus equals I am happy. You know, um, it is my my interests. Um, at some point, you forego what's on the equal sign. It's not my interests are irrelevant. Um, and then you and then you start to discover that the thing that you're pursuing is not outside of yourself; it's inside of yourself. That the emptiness that you want to get filled, which you think is on the other side of the equation, can actually be translated into a fullness whereby you engage the equation in the first place. And that becomes a completely different experience that, as we said, your intent isn't an emptiness that seeks to be filled. Your intent becomes a fullness that spontaneously empties. Now, once that has happened, you engage the realm of the miraculous because you're no longer negotiating with life. And because you're no longer negotiating with life, you're no longer insisting that life follows the predictable patterns because these negotiations, these equations are all based on assumptions of how the world works. But once you've foregone the equations, there's no longer an assumption of how the world works, which means the true miraculous nature of the world can become apparent to you. So once you've sort of foregone outcomes and you've just left what's on the other side of the equal sign open-ended, you then engage in the realm of the miraculous, where that which is unpredictable, that which is beyond the norm, becomes, in a sense, the commonplace for you. Because you have broken the norms, the norms get broken for you. Um, <clears throat> so uh, that was kind of what I was attempting to explore in that das. Bearing in mind that obviously in the dust you kind of you're in a bit of a swoon after the vicar, so sometimes you're not entirely rational. And indeed, it is a, a, a rather challenging subject. So I'm not entirely sure that I did the matter justice now. And that's why I think it might be helpful for us to have um, a, a bit of a conversation about this um, uh, now. So, but what I'm going to do is to kind of just tee some thoughts out. I'm going to break you into rooms. I'm going to break you into rooms of five people. And maybe if each room can just come up with a question. You say, well, you know, that sounds okay, but what about this? Welcome back, folks. You've been rudely ejected from your pleasant little conversation. <laughs> it was a very horrifying short public, public, Was it too short? Has there been no, enough... No, no, no. Uh, De de no. Definitely not the norm. Definitely not the norm. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I can put you back in for a bit longer if you think you wanted to complete your com your conversation. No, we want to hear your thoughts on it. Okay. All right. Okay. So that that's fine, folks. That's very generous of you. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Um, <clears throat> so um, uh, so the room one. Is Amra uh, Irma Mahin Meb Riaz Sahab and Shama? Nice to see you all. And by the way, for folks, it is very nice to see you all. Thank you. Um, thank you for 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 honouring me with being here. Um, so, <clears throat> um, who's gonna? Is anybody gonna t speak for room number one? And just any question that arose that you'd like to? I mean, there might have been more than one, but let's just deal with one at a time per group. We see how we go. I will speak for the group. Assalamualaikum, Sheikh Sab. Waalaikum salam. How are you, sir? Alhamdulillah, very well, thank you. And I think the honor is definitely ours for being here today. So thank you for arranging this. Right. Mahbub Sab, what is the question? So the question we had is once you start breaking those norms, because everybody else is expecting the norms very quickly things become a bit uncomfortable. You start being sort of seen as the odd one out. Uh, maybe people perceive you as having a midlife crisis. Where does that sort of lead then? Is it, well, you'll probably be a little bit lonely and actually that's that's the path that you, you've chosen to take or will other people change or, or does that not matter and you kind of just got to break the norms and whatever happens, happens? I think I think what happens over time is that you start you start experiencing a new circle of companionship, which may or may not include the people that you were companionable with before, 
but it's a circle of companionship which in itself has a magical character um where um you know this is a sort of like uh, it's a it's a subset of you know this idea of you know when the student is ready the teacher arrives well when the when the when the fakir is ready the world arrives you know, um, when the fakir is ready, the the this magic because imagine being having an experience and uh, where where you no longer have to run contracts with people, where people aren't asking you to run their lives according to your expectations of them, um, uh, or, or their expectations of you rather. That there's like a there's a kindness and a gentleness in terms of people's interaction with you. Now, what happens is because you yourself are transcending norms, that is kind of how you become. And many people respond to that. Many people respond to, you know, wow, I've not experienced you like this before. I mean, I've experienced you as actually being quite a, a manipulating piece of work, and you're no longer manipulating me. That's fantastic. And that it gives people in your circle the license not to manipulate back. It also creates the conditions where people are deeply entrenched in, um, in a contractual way of dealing with you and a contractual way of looking at life, find it intolerable to be around you and they leave. But it's only in order to make space for somebody else. You know, I mean, we only have so many seats around our kind of, our, our sort of, our inner dinner table, you know? And and uh, how do you propose to make, uh, you know, make a place vacant for the, um, for the, uh, you know, for the, the queen, if you, if you're not going to ask the gangster to leave? So there's, there's an element of, as we grow, as we change, and this is, you know, our, the circle around us grows and changes. And hopefully that circle around us gets a, becomes a circle of higher and finer quality. Secondly, you know, the companionship of people is nice, but it's not all it's made out to be, if you know you can be companionable with the stars. If every time you set foot outside of your house, you, the trees greet you, the flowers wave, wave hello, you have a living interaction with the whole of life around you. But you know, to have that living interaction with the whole of life around you, you need to put people in their place. You need to allow them to recede a little bit into the background so that the total picture and the magnificence of the total picture that you're confronted with can become apparent to you. So the point I'm trying to make, therefore, is that you probably, as you grow, you will lose, lose relationships. I think that's true. Good for you. That is making space for better relationships. And it's also making space for the more important relationship, which is with you and the, tot as we call it, the totality of the other, which is the face of Allah. Thank you for that, my lord. Um, I'll ask, uh, <clears throat> we'll go to room two now. Um, Amina and Anna and Fariha and uh, the double-barreled Linda. There's two Lindas. So Linda, have you had a twin? What's happened? Well, there are two different actually. Walaikum salam. Good to see you, Sheikh. Uh, so uh, question, uh, question I had was... Um, the way you talk about foregoing outcome is is like it's actually quite sometimes very hard because we think of always the if of the situation. So that was my question. But Anna, can you say the other other question? That was a very good question from the sister. I forgot her name. Anna will help yeah, you. There. We had two really good questions, and if we should take them in the chronological order they appeared, the first one was around. Um, so I don't remember now who put it, but it was very cleverly put. Uh, this equation that you talk about, hmm. how do we keep it simple? Because the older and, and more outward we get, the more complicated the equation gets. How do That was our, the first question from the group. Well, so, so 
I mean, I suppose a, a, an easy way to keep it simple is to retrogress. In other words, to start behaving like a child again. You know, you're giving me a hug, I'm happy. You're scowling at me, I'm not happy. Let's go even earlier than that. You know, I've had a good bowel movement, I'm happy. I haven't had a bowel movement, the world is a terrible place. I don't think that's a kind of a useful way to be. <laughs> So, so, so I don't. So the the issue is in retrogression that we're being pitched forward. We're being pitched forward through a journey where, in fact, the 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 fundamental problem of ha putting happiness on the other side of an outcome becomes increasingly apparent. Now, the way to deal with that isn't to retrogress. I mean, the, the most classical way that people retrogress in our, in our societies when they hit their midlife crisis, they become adolescents again. You know, they sort of, you know, uh, throw the spouse overboard, buy a Harley Davidson and, I don't know, go on an Alaska kind of, I don't know, do some crazy stuff. But <clears throat> I don't think that's an appropriate thing to do. There's a forward pitching to this, which is to not try and re-engineer the world, but it's to completely forego your, your, your desire for an outcome. To understand that your suffering is the result of the out of the uh, of an intent to achieve an outcome. Now, that sort of probably also reflects back to Linda's question. I mean, this is not necessarily an easy thing to do. This is, you know, this is a um, uh, we've actually been. I think Allah's created this journey of being human, being an increasingly intolerable state, so that we can get to a point of extremity where we, we burn the palace of outcomes to the ground. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, this is no longer, this is not tolerable. This is an impossible way to live, to put my happiness on the other side of something that's going to happen in the future. I am going to find what there is to be happy about right now. And if I try, it doesn't matter how complex and how, or how challenging the context that I'm in, I will find that which I can be grateful for. And make what I'm grateful for now, the point of me being alive, you know. Um, uh, so, so, so it is not about making your 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 motive simpler. It is about understanding that that the very structure of intent that puts your happiness on the other side of an outcome is actually an irresolvable issue, which will make you know, no matter how complex the equation becomes. It still ends you up in unhappiness and suffering. Thank you, Rod. Um, <clears throat> let's take the next group. And then there, I, I see there are questions in the text. Um, uh, I'll come back to the questions in the text, uh, you know, just so that we can have some sense of fairness about this. Otherwise, we have a toy toying mess in our hands. Um, <clears throat> uh, room number three, Aisha, Gladys, uh, um, Nahid, Nick, and Rifat. Nice to see you all, by the way. It's, um, um, can you, who's going to speak for that group? Assalamu alaikum. I think Gladys was Nick, nice articulate. to see you. Hey, excellent to see you all. <laughs> You're on the yeah, boat. I think Gladys was more articulate than me. I would say that Gladys should. Okay, all right, Gladys, let's hear. Assalamu alaikum. So thank you for listening. Um, yes, yeah, so my question was regarding the equation. Uh, when you think of the uh, what is before the equal sign and what is after the equal sign, when do we know what to be or to be or no, what to change? Do we change the, what we desire, what is after the equal sign? Uh, if you want to be all known, do we change what is uh, before the equal sign? And when do we know we have to stop to persevere? Uh, how to do to be all known? And uh, uh, do we look at the signs when we have to change what we desire? Or, so, you know, how to, where have to be, where do we put the effort on the changes? Before or after the equal signs? I guess it depends. And uh, when do we know the threshold when we have to change it? I hope it's clear. 
So um, I think so. I think so, Gladys. And this actually does resonate with uh, uh, Faria from uh, Group 2, I think, her question, which was, if we forgo the assumptions of how the world works, when do we stop tying the camel? Now, I, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the the, uh, the narration of the Rasul Salah somewhere. Somebody said to him, so um, I, I don't have to tie my camel anymore. I mean, you know, everything will be okay. And he said, no, 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 no. You trust in Allah and you tie your camel. Um, <clears throat> so um, um, now, I'd, I'd like to introduce or, or reiterate the central importance of the issue of gratitude in all of this. See, if if uh, if if I do something to achieve an outcome in the future, there's some level of judgment of the experience that I'm having now. It's saying this is not adequate. I need something different or better. Which means this very structure of what's going on inside my chest is like, it's like, a, it's an unhappiness. It's a judgment. It's like a hole. It's an emptiness that is seeking to be filled. Now, if, however, I realize that actually I am sitting on the king's ransom, I have now achieved or have, that's the wrong word. I have been granted something of such stupendous value. Happiness is just enjoying the, the banquet that's in front of me now. I don't need another place. Th this is it. It can't get better than this. Now, amazingly, the difference between the first and the second state is not the context you're in. You can get a very poor person who says, my life is miserable, I need wealth. You can get a very poor person who says, isn't my life extraordinary? And 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 finds their, you know, bases their day-to-day -day interaction on, isn't my life extraordinary? So there's that, that, that basing your basing your engagement with your day-to-day -day experience on the basis of a constant revision of what there is to be grateful for, a deep sense of gratitude produces a fullness in the heart rather than an emptiness in the heart. The, the fullness in the heart does enable you, you to act into the future. So you still tie the camel or do things going back to Fariha's question. But it's no longer in the context of trying to produce outcomes in your own, own interest. It's in the in the spirit of service of what how can I make what is around me a little bit better right now? I mean, I have so much, it overflows, and it's the nature of something that overflows to go to flow somewhere. And where is it going to flow to now? Well, it flows to the help that I can render now. And maybe, in fact, the help that I can render now is not tying my camel, but tying Nick's camel. You know, so so the, you, there's a complete re-engineering of how motive works. It's no longer sort of making the emphasis, the whole the orientation of your attention into the future, trying to get stuff. It is actually leaving it, keeping enough reflection on the past so that you can realize just how blessed you are now, so that you can stay full, so that your intent is a fullness that empties, not an emptiness that seeks to be filled. Now, I do want to just confirm again, going back to the question of Fariam, that you know, this doesn't mean to say you don't act. But it really decomplicates your action unbelievably. If the only question is that you're asking yourself, well, how can I be helpful in the situation that I'm in? That makes for a hell of a lot easier than how am I going to make sure I get a pension in 30 years' time? You know, I mean, that's like, that's quite a long sort of question that. But in the degree to which you spontaneously act, you know, this is the key thing.
when you act in such a way to guarantee your future in 30 years time, the thing you're trying to guarantee your future from is other than it is from the other. You know, the bank account, whatever it sits in the world, it's in the other. How much more secure can you be than how you would be if you had the other that faces you as your, your, your ally and your benefactor? If, if you engage with the world in such a way where your future is guaranteed by others, by other than you, guaranteed by other than you, not compelled from them because you've made the investment and now you have a right to the future, the future is guaranteed by other than you because they are your allies. That's a completely different way of living. You live in a universe of friends. You know, where the degree to which you are having to negotiate the future in your own interests is the degree to which you will live in a universe of enemy. Because the things you're trying to get are things you're trying to get from someone or somewhere. And nothing likes to be gotten from. Whereas if your, your, your fundamental engagement with the world is unconditional service, then, then those things that you're trying to get from, whoever you're trying to get them from, you don't need to get because they want to give it to you. You spontaneously get outcomes which are kind of um, inexplicably good in your interest. That's what I mean by living in the realm of the miraculous where there's an ingenuity that comes to play that looks after your interests that you cannot account for. We say, you know, Allah, provide me from where I cannot predict and I can't guarantee. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, it means I can't be clever enough to account for my provision. Simple as that. Why? Because it's accounted for by a much bigger intelligence than mine, which is the orchestrated world that I face. And how do I get, how does that look after me? Because I've not been, I've not turned it into my enemy. I've turned it into my ally. Sorry, I'm, I'm in a bit of a soapbox on this one. I beg your pardon. Um, I, I'll go on to room four. Uh, that's Aisha, Fatima, Mariam, uh, Shahid. Uh, Dr. Shahid, the best dentist in the Southern Hemisphere, apart from obviously Aisha. Uh, and then uh, Zahida and Zainab. Who's going to talk? How are you? I am well, Alhamdulillah. We didn't really decide who would speak for the group because we oh. were actually just. Uh, discussing so we didn't really come up with a question but i suppose aisha um can also add but i suppose uh, the kind of question or, or the state or the comments that we had i think you've addressed this in the latter half of um the last question uh, but basically just to give you an idea what we were discussing was what really happens when you uh, when your intent becomes unconditional and you step into the realm of the magical uh, or miraculous, um, just exactly what begins to happen. And I think you've kind of covered that. Uh, that's what we were talking about. But maybe Aisha can fill in. Thank you. Okay. Aisha? Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah. Good. I've got another Aisha with me here. So oh. the two of us sitting. All right. Two Aisha. <laughs> So, no, alhamdulillah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it was just how how do you tap into the miracle? And I think also perhaps a question that were that was on everyone's mind was what is a miracle? What do you constitute a miracle? No one can uh, these things are only things that you can kind of account for on the basis of your own life and your own experience. And so for me, a miracle is something that goes kind of, that comes right, fixes itself despite or beyond my own ability to, to manage the affair. 
So I've, I've had a few in the recent past. I have a brother who, um, my sole surviving brother and I, uh, I mean, we, this has been a long-standing dispute that went, that was based on a business engagement that went sour and that he blamed me for, um, whether it was legitimate or illegitimate, the point is that the man would not speak to me. He would have nothing to do with me for decades. And uh, he sent me a message out of the blue, he, and we had a conversation, and it was like the fight never happened. That's a miracle. Um, another one that I had access to quite recently um, relates to my brother, my other brother. My, my, I had a, my, one of my brothers passed away um, uh, earlier uh, in, in 2023. And um, uh, he had been... His entire life, I mean, he died in his early 80s. He's in, his entire adult life had been a member of the uh, sort of resistance movement in South Africa, a member of the, the, um, uh, the sort of South African exile, emigre movement, anti-apartheid movement. And um, he had been uh, unfairly accused of being a, a spy for the South African government in the late 70s. And that dogged him his entire life. He had a miserable life as a result. His entire life was uh, basically running from pillar to post and living in penury. Um, he finally gave up on being a South African. He went back, he went to the Netherlands to be with his daughter uh, in 2022. He was there for six months and he died. Two weeks before he died, the two key people who had accused him or had actually orchestrated this charge against him that he had uh, he had been a spy, both of them went to press saying this was not the case, that he was actually one of the heroes of the movement. I mean, his life got vindicated a heartbeat before he died, and he was conscious of it having happened. That, for me, is a miracle. You know, I mean, that... that, that, that um, that uh, that you know, it really doesn't. So, so it doesn't matter how long the train of suffering is. You know, if the life can can end at a satisfied exhalation, I've been vindicated. Alhamdulillah. That's the miracle, and every life I think can end like that. So these are some experiences that I have in my own life. Um, sometimes the dua, I mean, I mentioned it in the, in the, in the, I think it was in the same, it was recently in any case, in one of the, 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 the discourses after the dhikr, there was, um, you know, Anna and I had gone on this trip and, uh, something had happened and I thought this was an irresolvable, catastrophic disaster. It really was. I mean, I, I was terrified and this thing just resolved itself. I mean, it, one man did something that I thought was completely impossible. He did it in 10 minutes, and he asked me 100 grand for the service. It was unbelievable. I mean, you could have knocked me down with a feather. You know, so all of us have these things that happen to us on an ongoing basis. The problem is we're not aware of them. The issue isn't that the miraculous doesn't happen. We're not aware of them. So, so you know, we... we and it's because our our part of what part of what becoming conditional means is that you trivialize things because they don't suit you. I mean, it's not part. You know, it's a, you know. How can I put it? I mean, I'm really busy trying to score this this new client. For me now to be fascinated with the fact that my finger can do this is really not very useful. You know. If I spent enough time working out what my, that, that my finger can do this, this is such a stupefying thing of such extraordinary, miraculous kind of, I'm going to forget about that client. You know, I mean, it's like you are sitting in a weaving together of the, of the most extraordinary conditions that account for you to be alive now. <clears throat> That's miraculous. That's so miraculous, it's stupefying. You know, and it's inconvenient if you're a busy person who's got a business to run. It's very inconvenient. You know, mother, why are you looking at the flower like that? 
go away, go away. You know, I mean, this is clearly not a very constructive way of being. So that's why we dumb down our exposure to the miraculous and our experience of the miraculous, which is the nature of everyday life, because it's, it presents itself to us as impractical. But, you know, the shiuch tell us, make, make Allah your concern, and he will look after your other concerns. You know, be fascinated with this to the point of being useless. The client will come to you. Test him. Try. So the only way one can kind of be fully convinced of the story is to actually start to develop your own your own sort of little library of experiences. That you say, look, I can't account for that thing for it. By, and we all, have, all just go and examine them. You'll find them. First, there'll be the obviously miraculous things, like my brother just being vindicated after literally 50 years of being out in the cold, a month before he died. I mean, literally at, on, you know, on his deathbed. Um, uh, from, you know, just lots and lots of things like that can happen. Two, uh, well, um, do I need to have something that looks kind of bizarre and extraordinary and out of the way for me to be convinced that, what, that right now I'm sitting in the middle of a super miracle? Alhamdulillah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> the last room, room five, is uh, Alitsia Amina Muhammad Najib Sahab. I hope you're well, Najib Sahab. Noor Noor and uh, Zeres. I don't know who Zeres is. Hi. Um, I'll quickly um, ask you jump in if that's okay really sorry to my group because I don't think we quite um got to agree on the question but I think like the other groups I was I'll just too sort impatient of... and I went too quickly <laughs> no no I think no, no. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting topic so I think um yeah uh so our question or, or what we managed to talk about was around um the intention uh in this kind of breaking the norm so to, to use your example with the finger and the client if and and i personally find that studying this studying it but you know examining this on an intellectual level like we do with you is very different to the actual experiential uh you know side and so my question is using this example of your of the client and, and being fascinated by the finger if you've just told us that the client will come to us if we are fascinated with the finger, it's actually quite difficult to do that authentically. No, that's right. No, right? No. Spot on. Spot on. So Spot. My, if you, my question if you is... doing this to get the client, <laughs> yeah. you've broken the rule. <laughs> what do you mean you've broken the rule? Well, look, look, I mean, because then you've just then you've just so, so there is, there's a, there is, that's a wonderful, wonderful kind of challenge that uh, I would say, uh, because this is the mistake that all millenarian movements make. And I'll, I, I want to uh, uh, ex give you an example of a millenarian movement. Um, so, so millenarian mo movements are sort of movements that believe if you do one extreme thing, the good Lord will give a, a new universe for you. Will, will change things, will, uh, you know, will uh, kind of rectify all wrongs. So there was, um, there was a, a CRS in the Eastern Cape of Southern Africa, a young Tosa girl called Mawuse, who had a vision that if the people burnt their crops and they killed their cattle, the ancestors will come out of the sea, will kill all the whites, get rid of all of the whites, and a new sort of paradise of uh, sort of milk and honey and well-being and overflowing will, will, will arise. In other words, if you throw away everything, you'll get everything. And unfortunately, this lass was very influential. And their, their, uh, their 
there ensued an uh, an event called the Great Kosa cattle killing, where they they literally uh, entire districts, the people would get up one day, they'd slaughter their cattle, they'd burn their crops, and they'd sit and wait for the ancestors to come and save them. That is saying, I can do one final act, one extreme act that will produce an extreme outcome. I think very often suicide bombing is kind of in this category. I'll do the final act and I'll get paradise. It's like the, it's like the, the highest transaction. You know, this is the most extreme transaction. Now, if you dial down a little bit on the extremity of that, what you're saying is I can, I, can, um, I can exploit the miraculous in my interest. The miraculous only exists, well, the, the, the purpose of the miraculous is to demonstrate to you is that you are incapable of acting in your own interest. So you don't do the extreme thing and uh, throw, so that you can, uh, you know, uh, so that you can you can get the outcome, you forego outcomes. And when you forego outcomes, it means by definition, whatever the outcome is, it's not the one that you expected because you've forgotten an outcome. But when I'm doing this in order to get the client, I'm not, I'm not foregoing any outcome. There's a definite outcome. You know, I want the client. That's what I'm doing. Then I just say, okay, you're not watching me. I'm just, so, so um, I'm sorry to take to my rock. Uh, you can see that I'm very, 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 very fascinated with it. I know that you're going to give me a... Whatever he has to give to you is infinitely better than what you can have in store for yourself. That's one of the ways in which we understand that, our, that, the, that existence is miraculous. One of the problems of our lines of text that we run, these equations that we run, is that we actually settle for some really dingy and mean outcomes. And what I mean by mean, I don't mean nasty. I mean like, like poor, like, like tacky, you know? <coughs> mm. So, let me bomb. <clears throat> don't do the, uh, I mean, I hope I understood your question um, properly, Alicia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, this is about leaving the whole issue of outcome open-ended, knowing it'll be best and better than what the thing is that you could design for yourself. And surprising. Like my brother suddenly coming after 20 years of alienation. Surprising. Truly surprising. Alhamdulillah. So, uh, uh, there was a question. So, there's one more question in the uh, in the chat group. Uh, in the chat, uh, uh, the, from Riyal Sahab. Adding to this, plan as if you would live forever, live as you would die tomorrow. How does planning at work and personal life align with not thinking about outcomes on the other side of yeah. Well, I mean, clearly there's more to you, to your life. There's a lot more to your life than planning. So if we go to the beginning of that text, plan as if you would live forever. But however, live like you're going to die tomorrow. So most of the time, you're assuming you're going to die tomorrow. But when you plan, insofar as you're planning, use your intelligence and create a nice picture in the sky so that Allah can surprise you. You've heard that wonderful story, eh? Um, <clears throat> what is it again now? Um, how, do you make, how do you make God laugh? You tell him your plans. Um, so, so um, in fact, there's no harm to putting down a plan because partly it's it, it, he, the plan allows you to be doubly surprised when that which is truly extraordinary happens. 
Um, but it does mean that you don't take your plan. You don't live by your plan. You live like you're going to die tomorrow. You don't live in the doing things now to get in the future. You don't. You do the plan as a, almost like a theoretical exercise. You do the plan, and you you also treat the plan with a good measure of skepticism and um, and uh, and and humor, because Allah is khairul maqi. Uh, um, and the reason why he's kind of asking you to plan, I suppose, is so that he can demonstrate to you that he's khairul makri, which means you are something other than khairul makri. You are something less than. Now, how can he demonstrate that you're less than if you haven't produced the plan in the first place? Alhamdulillah. All right, folks, we've gone for almost an hour. Um, it is about as long as I thought we should go. Um, if there's something anybody would like to uh, sort of pick up, want clarified, we can do that. Uh, you can also put it in the chat. That's uh, going to be useful to you. Yes, Afia, of course, you can You can ask one. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Saab. It's so Thank good to Sa see you. Alhamdulillah. It's good, good to hear you. Thank you. Uh, Sheikh Saab, my question is that um, what... So, so organizations spend a lot of time planning and then allocating budgets to that plan. But um, how do you feel that organizations should uh, start off their planning with this um, concept in mind that all outcomes um, aren't really in their hands? And um, would that make an organization open to the possibility of more agility? How do they build that um, into their structure? What has What is your stance on it? Avia, I would not suggest to organizational people that they should not have plans. And uh, that they should, you know, that... Um, You know, I've indicated before that the 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 path of the fukara leads out of the city. What does that mean? These higher parts of your 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 being actually ask you to live in a way that doesn't make you entirely socially functional. So I think true committed tasawwuf is something you have to do as a sideshow if you're running a big organization. And you can only get to start doing once you have, uh, once you sort of are on your way out of the organization. It is the nature of social groups to have to plan. It's the nature of social groups to have to be structured, to be rule bound, to have, uh, to actually have roles and expectations defined. That is how it is. Um, the, uh, you know, that, uh, um, we're in a sense saying that there's a part of our being which is not of the city. It is not of the compliance. It is of the wild. And that's the part that you're engaging when you're on the path. And insofar as you still maintain a place in the city, you really are doing it a little bit by subterfuge. Um, you're sort of maintaining a face, um, but you know that this is not the real, the real story. And so I would have... Um, I would absolutely not have any comment about this to an organization. I mean, I do, I'm a consultant as a, you know, by my profession. Somebody said, how do we plan based on this whole understanding of intent that you're articulating? I say, ignore what I'm saying. Uh, this is not, this is not about the organization. It's about you as an individual. It's not about the collective. Um, thank you so much. Thank Jazakallah. you. Thank you. Um, Maheen, you had a question. Uh, sometimes uh, you had your hand up and I'm assuming that the yeah. text is what you want to do. Yeah, Sheikh Sabah, I just, I wrote it in there. I hope that's okay. No, that's, that's fine. Easier. That's fine. Sometimes the holding on to outcomes is so subtle. I can tell myself I'm letting go, but there is still holding on. Uh, I don't even know sometimes that I'm holding on because it's uh, absolutely correct. And how do you know you've, hold, you've held on? Because you got to a point where you felt disappointed. The moment you're disappointed, the good question is, well, what did I actually want here that I've created an experience of disappointment? You know, so, so your own inner experience 
is really your ally on this journey. You know, and, you, and that's why we should, you know, we, we've spoken before about the significance and usefulness of things like journaling, or at least some kind of reflective exercise where you aren't just doing mraqaba, you aren't just going deep inside yourself, but you're actually examining this experience of being in your own skin. Because it's very helpful to understand that you're disappointed. You know, because it is saying, but I, I, I must have had some expectation. If I didn't have an expectation, I wouldn't have been disappointed. You know. That's right. Um, <clears throat> can I differentiate between norms and mental models? I must admit, I don't, um, men, you know, I, there, there might be a, a technical kind of understanding of mental models that I'm not familiar with. So I, I wouldn't want to comment. I think I'm, I'll be commenting beyond my expertise what i mean by norms are are the 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 um the convictions of how the world works that produces a pattern of uh, of of kind of sort of mechanisms and levers where that allow us to manage our lives sort of get a grip on reality now, that may or may not be similar to a mental model. Uh, uh, Sheikh, uh, oh, sorry, Fatima. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to do this on a monthly basis. Uh, um, Alicia, you, uh, you said that too. So there's been a number of people after that. Uh, and then there's uh, Astor. Uh, I don't know that I have... Uh, which I am in this question, can breaking of norms lead to unintended negative consequences within the Islamic framework and communities? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Sheikh Shadali, one of his famous kind of quotes is, the Shadaliya, by outwardly sober and inwardly intoxicated. What does that mean? That means that when you look at the person from the outside, I mean, this is actually, it says that this is the supreme um, uh, kind of uh, uh, dissimulations happen. Because from the outside, I am uh, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I, I don't mess around. I don't fiddle with people I shouldn't fiddle with. I do everything that is, I pay my dues. When you look at me at the outside, you say, he's a boring man. I mean, he's just norm, like any other man. But what they don't know is what's going on on the inside. That's the Shadalia. So, breaking of norms does not mean to say you give yourself license to misbehave. And, some, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm sen sensing that that is my, might be the question you're asking, because I do know people that this has happened to. You know, the hearts move. We have... Uh, uh, we're in a circle and we're doing liquor together, hearts move, and before you know it, there's some sort of inappropriate things that are happening behind the curtain somewhere. And um, that is, the, you know, the, the requirement is, the, the requirement is still for you to be sharically correct, outwardly sober, outwardly restrained. Right. Uh, okay, so I mean, Aisha, I'm going to uh, hopefully this is the last. Uh, um, maybe it's not a question. Maybe it's a statement. It's the last statement there. Is this attachment clinging to outcomes fitra, and one's journey along the path of maturation will eventually lead you to detach? Yes, yes, yes. We are designed to forget so that we can remember. And this is both in the big and small things. The big thing is that there's at a point you knew, you came fresh from the rock. You knew that you were not separate from the rest of existence. That the whole, that the stars collaborated to give you your hand. And that the stars are intimately involved in the life that you have. It is one life. It's not many lives. It's one life going on. And you are a, Absolutely intimate participant. You knew that as an infant. You were alienated from that experience. 
to make you a good citizen, a useful citizen. Because a person who's completely fascinated with the sort of suit that they're swimming in, in this ecstatic joy, they're not good citizens. They're not useful citizens. That, that alienation of turning you into a useful citizen is the divine plan because Allah created the human condition, which has this as one of its requirements. Why? So at some point you can say, but you know, there's more to life than being a, a useful citizen. And once you start exploring that, you re-engage this mir miraculous that you came from. Thank you very much, folks. And thank you very much for your participation. I'm honored that so many people decided to come. I think we will do this on a monthly basis. And um, <clears throat> yeah, and I, 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 I mean, we can. We don't have to talk about the format now. I mean, you can put it in the in the WhatsApp forum. Uh, we can decide how we're going to handle it. You know, I prefer not to because it's not to replace uh, a dust. So you know, whatever listen if you're listening to the durus, that's fine. That's good. But then come with armed with questions. I'd like to keep this like we're doing now, sort of quite interactive. Fantastic. All the best, folks. Salaamu alaikum. Walaikum salam. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Saab. Thank you. Walaikum salam. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sheikh Saab. Thank you.